Well, this morning, we are going to continue what we started last week, looking at Brother Joshua. And thank you, Brother Victor. But as you were reading here this week, we were reading in our, our, our chapter a day. We were in Mark chapter 4, and there was a particular verse that I wanted you to um, take note of as you, as you read. If you're not reading with us every, every week, one chapter a day, five days a week, end of the year you'll be reading, read through the New Testament completely. So uh, join with us. Just pick up right where we are. Don't feel like you've got to go back and catch up. Just start right here. We're in, uh, we're in the Gospel of Mark right now. But in Mark chapter 4 and verse 21, if you can pull that up on the screen, you all probably read this on, on Friday, or if not Friday, sometime over the weekend. As we were talking about this passage in, a, in another place. But here in particular, he was calling attention to our lamp that we light and setting it upon a lamp stand. And as I was reading this verse, and he says, you don't take a, your light and set it under a cover or under a bed, but you put it on a lamp stand. This kind of jumped out at me. What is your lamp stand? And what is on your lampstand? Now, so everybody's lampstand is going to be a little bit different. If you go into one person's room, you look at the, we call them bedside tables. You put a, a little, little light on there. Something Everyone's got a little different one. But what is your lampstand? What is it that you take the light that you've been given by God and what do you set it upon? And what is that light? We should be conscious of the light that God has given us for our life and set it upon a lampstand and we know where that lampstand is. Some of you might put a, your refrigerator down as your lampstand and every time you walk on by, you've got stuff on your refrigerator that you can read over. Some of you folks have created some of your screensavers on your phone. Every time you turn on your phone, you see the screensaver and it's got some light on there for you. Make sure you have a lampstand. Make sure you have light for it. And that is not at all we're getting into today. But it's still something you can you can get into. Joshua chapter 9, if you want to flip on over to there, Joshua the ninth chapter. You can turn and look in your Bibles, on your phones, or up on the screen, whichever you prefer. I just wanted to give you a review. These are some principles we have given you in years past on this uh, particular thing that I, I guess I gave you some, some blanks. You can fill these in if you want to. God will not lead you into something you are not prepared for. These are just some things about God, how He'll lead you. Because sometimes people get this uh, unsure about that. And we're going to see that Joshua is going to be led to do something that God did not lead him to do. So I just wanted to give you these principles first. These are old principles we've given to you before. If you uh, haven't been around for a while, you may not know, may not have heard these. But God will not lead you into something you are not prepared for. God always prepares you for what He is leading you into. When He called Saul to be king, He had prepared him for it. When He called David to be king, He had prepared him for it. When He called Moses to be the deliverer, He had prepared him for it. When He called Joshua to be the leader and to take them into the promised land, He had prepared him for it. But God will not lead you into something that He has not prepared you for. Here's the second one. God will not lead you into something that you will need to put the word aside for. 
That is not God. How many of you ever heard the people saying, well, I feel that God wants me to marry this person and you can see they do not line up with the Word of God. God will not lead you into something that you need to put the Word of God aside for. He won't do it. If God led you there, the Word confirms it. It always will. God will not lead you to a place that promotes what you see over what you believe. God will not lead you to a place that promotes what you see over what you believe. We'll talk more about that principle here today. God will not lead you to a place where wrong things are amply supplied. Sometimes people have gone in a direction because what they don't need is there in abundance. I'll give you an example of that. Lot, when he separated from Abraham. He looked out into the field and what did he see? An abundance of grass and places to graze his his flocks with. What did he need? He needed the wisdom and the grounding that Abraham gave him. He left what he needed to go after something else that was an abundant supply. God won't lead you to do that. Here's the last one. God will will not lead you to a place of fear, unrest, and uncertainty. That does not mean you will not be taking a step of faith. But it won't be a place of fear, unrest, or uncertainty. There's a whole lot of people who call a step of faith by God fear, unrest, and uncertainty. That's just because they don't know what fear and unrest and uncertainty is. But anyway, let's get over here to Joshua chapter 9. I just wanted to go over those principles for you. We've given to you, as I said before, but... Sometimes it's good just to renew those. It's been a little while. In fact, it's been a little while since we looked at these two chapters, chapter 9 and chapter 10. We're going to be looking at chapter 9 this week, chapter 10 next week. Miss Ethel is getting ahead of us by a week. (laughs) Talking about chapter 10 and the sun standing still. We're going to get into that next week. But a little trio here from from Joshua. We were on Joshua last week. We're on Joshua this week and we'll be on Joshua again uh, next week. And don't let me forget, I've got a teaser for you for next week. If I forget, you remind me. Because you're going to want to hear this teaser. <laughs> Alright, in Joshua chapter 9, he is going to be uh, embarking on going more into the promised land. We've already gotten past Jericho. We've gotten past Ai. And they've got the victory over there at Ai. But I want to read to you some light that Joshua has received about going into the promised land. And this comes from Exodus chapter 23, verse 31, 33, and Deuteronomy 7, 1 and 2. Now, if you will notice this, you probably have never, may never have dawned on you that I do this, but I do this on a regular basis, except for today. You will notice that today I abbreviated the Bible books. Have you ever noticed that I write them out in full? I don't know if anyone's ever noticed that. I do it intentionally. I don't do it by accident. I make sure I get the entire thing in there, but there was no way I could do it today without pushing something else out of the outline. The reason I do it is because I don't want to count on people coming into church knowing what an abbreviation means. I want you to be able to find this later on. So I always write out the entire thing for that. If you need to write out the whole thing, EX right there will stand for Exodus and, and you know, D-E-U-T, that's going to stand for Deuteronomy. So, just want to make sure you, that you know that because I want you to be able to find this. This is the light that Joshua has that he is walking in that God has given him when he has gone into the promised land. And I will set your, your bounds from the Red Sea to, to the sea 
Philistia, and from the desert to the river. For I will deliver the inhabitants of the land into your hand, and you shall drive them out before you. Now look at verse 32. You shall make no covenant with them, nor with their gods. God has made it real clear, hadn't He? You will not make any covenant with anyone in the land. They shall not dwell in your land, lest they make you sin against me. For if you serve their gods, it will surely be a snare to you. Is that clear? Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 1 and 2. When the Lord your God brings you into the land which you go to possess and has cast out many nations before you, the Hittites, the Girgashites, and the Amorites, and the Canaanites, and the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites, seven nations, greater and mightier than you. Look at this. God is calling these seven nations greater and mightier than his people. Did you see that? Does that surprise you? See, sometimes people get fresh revelation and they see something that's up in their life and they see it as greater and mightier than them. And they feel like in order for me to be in faith, I have to see myself as greater and mightier than it. And God right here is saying, I am leading you into a place, seven nations, greater and mightier than you. But you see, that's not a problem. Don't feel like you have to become convinced that whatever it is that you are up against is less than you in order for you to have the victory. Does that help you? Just because you can see something as being bigger and greater than you does not mean you are not in faith. Well, amen. amen. <laughs> I just went to, just went to see the, I was reading that over and said, well, look at that. <laughs> Seven nations greater and mightier than you. And when the Lord your God delivers them over to you, you shall conquer them and utterly destroy them. You see, God's going to deliver what is greater and mightier over to you. Because God is greater than, and mightier than any of them. You shall conquer them and utterly destroy them. You shall make no covenant with them, nor show mercy to them. Is he clear? He is clear. That is the light. That is the commandment that Joshua has as we enter into chapter 9. And it came to pass when all the kings who were on on this side of the Jordan, in the hills and in the lowlands, and in all the coasts of the great sea toward Lebanon, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Canaanite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, the Jebusite. We heard about them before, didn't we? <laughs> when they heard about it, that they gathered together to fight with Joshua and Israel with one accord. Being in one accord is not unique to being a Christian. The enemy will unite against you as well. And being united does not mean that you are a Christian. Forces may unite against you. That does not mean that God is behind them. So they gathered together to fight with Joshua and Israel with one accord. But when the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and Ai, they worked craftily and went and pretended to be ambassadors and they took old sacks on their donkeys, old wineskins, torn and mended, and uh, old and... (coughs) and patched sandals on their feet 
and old garments on themselves, and all the bread of their provisions was dry and moldy. And they went to Joshua to the camp of Gilgal and said to him and to the men of Israel, We have come from a far country. Now therefore, make a covenant with us. Now these folks heard about the things that God did at Jericho and Ai. And they now have faith in God. Look at the good things this verse says about them. They have more faith in God, the God of the Israelites, than they do in the gods they serve. After they heard about Jericho and Ai, the faith they had in their gods went away. And they now have more faith in the God of Israel. That that faith in God told them we are going to be wiped out because God is against us. So the only thing we can do is to make a covenant with Him because we know they won't break it. If we are going to survive, if we are going to live, we need to make a covenant with them. Now, they're not going to do this willingly. So we have to come up with a way to do this. Hmm. Things are not always as they appear. In in Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 10, I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind. Even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. Because not everything is as it appears. Jeremiah 20, verse 12, But, O Lord of hosts, you who test the righteous and see the mind and heart, let me see your vengeance on them, for I have pleaded my cause before you. You who test the righteous, because not everything is as it appears. 1 John 4, 1, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits where they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Matthew 24, verse 4, And Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you. That's just four verses. You can go on a whole lot more than that. Don't take things at their appearance. You must know that the enemy is out to deceive you. He is trying to get you to go in a direction that will be harmful to you, harmful to your relationship with God, harmful to your faith. Whatever he can do, he wants to deceive you and get you to go that way. He did it in the garden. He deceived them and got them to go away from the light that God had given them. And he will continue to do it all his days. He is so good at this that God has announced that at the end of a thousand year millennial period, he will be released and he will be able to tempt people to go his way and against God. God has announced this thousands of years before it would happen. People have been taught about it for years. And still, at the end of the millennial reign, He will be released and He will deceive many because He is a good deceiver. And don't think that you cannot be deceived. If that was the case, then would why would there be so many warnings about being deceived? Just in the end times alone, here in Matthew 24, how many wrong things have we seen about the end times? How many had a, a date, heard a date 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 5 years ago? All the time we're hearing dates. Oh, this is the day he's coming. This is the day this is going on. All these things are going on and it hasn't happened. We got people waiting out there for flying saucers to come, pick them up and take them out. That was a, that's one of those things that's out there. I got all kinds of stuff that are just, just crazy things. First thing Jesus says when the disciples came and asked him about the end times. He says, be careful. Take heed that no one 
deceives you. Others will try and deceive you by making their intentions appear good. They're going to make their intentions appear good. Most of the time, we judge by intentions. Well, it seems like they intend good here, so I'm going to go ahead and believe them. That is not the case. Word of God's full of it, but let's go on here in verse 7. Then the men of Israel said to the Hivites, Perhaps you dwell among us. So how can we make a covenant with you? So they seem to be on to the the, the possibility here right away. You might dwell among us. Why should we make a covenant with you? But they said to Joshua, We are your servants. And Joshua said to them, Who are you and where do you come from? So they said, From a far country. Your servants have come because of the name of the Lord your God. For you have heard of his fame and all that he did in Egypt. From a far country. Now see, they're not mentioning Ai and Jericho. But why are they here? Because of what happened at Ai and Jericho. But look at what they mention. Egypt. Because Egypt happened a much longer time ago. And so it makes sense that they came from a long journey. Then it does that they came from something shorter. They cannot mention that they know about Jericho and Ai or that that's what brought them. They had to say something that happened before. But here in truth, folks, what happened in Egypt did not bring these people to a place of repentance. What happened at Jericho and Ai did. Hmm. Well, let's go on. And all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan. So Sihon, king of Heshbon, and Og and Bashan was at Astra. Then our elders and all the inhabitants of our country spoke to us, saying, Take provisions with you for the journey and go to meet them. And say to them, We are your servants. Now therefore make a covenant with us. So the other thing they talk about is what happened on the other side of the Jordan. Which again, was a while ago. This is not something that just happened. This bread of ours, we took hot for our provision, for our our houses on the day we departed. They did not. They took moldy one. They took dry stuff. They intentionally grabbed old moldy stuff. But now look, it is dry and moldy. And these wineskins, which are, which are filled, were new. And see, they are torn. And these are garments. And our sandals have become old because of the very long journey. Be careful of lying signs and wonders. <laughs> Doesn't the Word of God talk about that? <laughs> that people will come and they'll... Do all kinds of things in His name. But you see, it's not the, it's not the light of the gospel. He says, be careful. Watch out. Then the men of Israel took some of the provisions, but they did not ask counsel of the Lord. So they took it, you know, sent it on back to the forensic labs, test it out, make sure, (laughs) make sure it works out. So their story seemed to check out. Well, they got moldy bread. They got, you know, torn clothes. I'll tell you what. The things that some people will buy into are so easily fabricated. But the one thing you cannot fabricate is the light of the gospel. When God's light shines on something, you cannot fabricate that. When you have it in your life, don't leave it. Because there's a lot out there it'll mess you up. 
So Joshua made peace with them and made a covenant with them to let them live. And the rulers of the congregation swore to them. Now I got a couple of questions that I put in your, your outline for you. Was this covenant necessary? This was completely unnecessary. Because Joshua would just say, look, if you are not in the land, we're not coming for you. But know this, if you're in the land, you're ours. You can just say that. <laughs> and you'll be fine. There is no reason for this covenant. There's no reason to do it. It's completely unnecessary. Was this covenant one-sided? What does Israel get out of this? Well, it says, we'll be your servants. Well, if you're from a far country, why do we care? We're not going to run over to where you all are at, to some far country, to get you to do stuff for us. Got no reason for that. Don't be compelled to make promises. People will try and get you to make promises. Don't be compelled to make them. Unfaithful. And by unfaithful, I mean selfish they are faithful to themselves. Unfaithful to God means you are faithful to yourself. That's an old principle we gave you in this series. If you are faithful to yourself, you're unfaithful to God. The more faithful you are to, to yourself, the more unfaithful you are to God. The more faithful you are to God, the less selfish you will be. Remember uh, Paul's writing? Everyone else seeks his own, except Timothy. Of all the people that Paul had at his disposal, all the great men that he had raised up, all the great women that were under his, his ministry, and all the different things that they were doing in ministry, he says, I've only got one guy who's like me. Unselfish. What's that say about Titus? Doesn't mean that he was a selfish guy. It just means there's a little bit in him that... Uh, that he was selfish on. Just a little bit. You look at those other guys too. He had a lot of very powerful people that helped him out. That he counted on. But not all of them were like Timothy. But don't be compelled to make promises. The more selfish people are, the more the agreement they seek will benefit them, they will have decreasing care of others. You can tell how selfish a person is by the type of arrangements they try and make. The more one-sided it is, the more selfish they are. Now understand this, when you make an agreement with people, when you make a covenant, it is not supposed to be you give everything and they give nothing. And it is also not supposed to be that you give nothing and they give everything. I am not to seek after that either. I am to seek after a covenant in which I give and they give. They give according to what they can do and I give according to what I can do. That's when, you're, when your kids are little. Aren't you doing this? When they're real, real little and they can't do anything, you, out, you do everything for them. Look, I'll change your diaper if you'll wash the dishes. <laughs> right? We don't, we don't do that. We understand that they can't, they can't wash the dishes. <laughs> so we go ahead and we change their diapers for them. But as they get older, are you not requiring things of them? 
you require what they are able to do. You know, if they're two years old, we don't go out and we don't ask our grandson, go cut the lawn. Because that could be dangerous. <laughs> he might he might even try and do it. <laughs> but that doesn't mean that he should. You see, you're you're always you're working it out. It I may be giving more than they're receiving, but they're giving as much as it's costing me to give what I'm doing. We're keeping that, that effort on, on par there. And as they get older, we require more effort. We require more, more stuff out of them. But selfish people, they look for one-sided arrangements. Now, here's another trait of a deception. Here's a trait of a deception. Not only is it going to be one-sided, you have to decide now. Generally know this. If someone is making you decide right now, it's probably not right. Have you ever watched one of those movies and you got the swindler coming on in? And we know he's a swindler because we're watching the movie. We're on the outside watching. We can see it. We don't feel tempted by his uh, his little get-rich-quick scheme at all. We see right through it. And we see them sit down at the beautiful table for lunch. As he presents his case, if you can invest just $10,000. $10,000. In less than two months, you'll have... A hundred thousand dollars. Really? But you have to act quick. I've got other people that we're looking at for this. And if you don't decide quick, I'm going to go to somebody else. When do I have to decide? Today. I've got three other people I'm going to be meeting. And I've got two spots open. My thought is, why don't you put up the ten thousand dollars? I mean, if you could truly make $100,000 off of $10,000 in a matter of two months, go to the bank, get a loan. I mean, for that kind of, in- uh, that kind of increase, go to the loan shark. <laughs> get a loan. Pay him $20,000 when you get done with the thing and you get a hundred. Right? See something? It's just, it's just not right. Brother, brother Keith Moore. I enjoy some of the wisdom he, he throws out. He told us this one time because somebody was uh, throwing him a deal, uh, an investment deal like that. And uh, they just didn't have it in them to, to do it. And so um, uh, they weren't going to do it. And so one of the things they said, well, this is, this is an incredible deal. This is an incredible deal. Why wouldn't you want to do this? And he says, he says, look, I don't need a reason not to do it. I need a reason to do it. And if you hang on to that wisdom, that'll keep you out of some trouble. People are sometimes looking for the reason not to do something. You don't need, you don't need a reason not to do something. You need God to tell you to do it. And if God doesn't tell you to do it, then assume that means don't do it. If God hasn't talked to you about it, He hasn't prepared you to go in that way. 
If He hasn't prepared you to go in that way, don't go in that way. It's okay. You'll be prepared. You'll be prepared for all sorts of stuff if, you'll get, if you just listen to Him. You won't get surprised by a job offer. You won't get surprised by all sorts of stuff like that. God will tell you ahead of time, so-and-so is going to come or a job offer is coming or this is going to happen. He'll give, give you a warning about it. And I've shared some of the stories that God has done that with me. And, and God says, they're going to come and they're going to offer this to you. Okay, should I take it? Yes. And I knew about it ahead of time. Before they ever came. When they came and they said, we want you to do this, I never had to say, well, let me go away and pray on that. Never had to say that. Because I was prepared. If I have to say, well, let me go away and pray about that, I'm basically saying I'm not prepared. you got to be careful. So, you have to decide now. These people want a decision now. We're not leaving. We want you to decide now. Because in a little while, you're going to figure this out. And then it'll be too late. So we need you to decide now. The quicker the response becomes necessary, the more likely you are to respond from your flesh. Make sure you write that one in. I want you to get that one. The quicker the response becomes necessary the more likely you are to respond from your flesh, not from your spirit. Look at what the people of Gideon did here. They got Joshua and the leaders to make a decision by what they saw. Didn't they? Look at the bread. Look at the wine. Look at our clothes. Look at our sandals. The enemy wants to get you to make a decision based on what you see. If he can get you into a realm where you would decide by what you see, he has you defeated. Because God doesn't get you to decide things by what you see. He does by what you believe. Remember his words to Thomas? Thomas, you believe because you see. Blessed are those who believe and do not see. That's the right place where God wants. The devil wants you in a lower level. Because in a lower level, he can defeat you. Well, that was good anyway. <laughs> he wants them to make a decision by what they see. This is what the enemy wants you to do. He loves it when you go to the doctor and you put your faith in this. How many times have I told you? Do not... Submit a prayer request. Do not ask for a good report. Because you are setting yourself up for failure. People do this all the time. Will you, I'm going to the doctor. Will you pray that I have a good report? What? You want me to pray that you will believe what you see? That what you want me to pray? You want me to pray for you that you will believe what you see? I can't pray that way. You don't pray for a good report. You want to go to the doctor and get it? That's fine. Go to the doctor and get a report. I don't tell you not to go to the doctor and get the report. There's no reason not to do that. If the doctor hands you a bad report, don't beat him up. It's not his fault. He's telling you what he sees. That's all he can do. That's his level. You're at a higher level. Say, appreciate that. Thank you very much. And just smile at him. And just go on. I'm believing something different. Yeah, but this is what it says. Yeah, I understand that. Thank you very much. I appreciate you 
taking the time, checking things out for me. And, and, and go on. Don't be moved by what you see. How many times have we heard that phrase? I'm not moved by what I see. I'm not moved by what I feel. I'm only moved, moved by what I believe. I don't know who came up with that, who said it, but I know I've heard it an awful lot of times. A lot of other people pick it up. Don't be moved by these things. I can understand it. I can see what's going on. But that's fine. Don't be moved by it. When, when Jairus came to Jesus and he said to, to, to Jesus, come and heal my daughter. And then the people came and they gave the report. Your daughter's dead. Why trouble the teacher anymore? And Jesus says, Do not be afraid. Only believe. Don't believe what you see here right now. I'm not saying deny it. See, sometimes we get into that. I got, I got to deny everything I see. I don't have a cold. It's you. Right? I, I got to deny what I see. You don't have to deny it. He doesn't say to deny what you see. He says believe what you don't. That's all. You never hear me going around. I know there's other people and if you said it, don't think I've thought anything less of you. Because <laughs> I haven't. But I hear people say, well, I have the symptoms of a cold. What's the difference between having a cold and having the symptoms of a cold? I don't know. Because they both look like the same to me. They both feel like the same to me. And you're just as miserable with either one. (laughs) What is the difference? Now, this one, you won't hear me say, I have a cold. I don't take ownership of it. I may say, this, put myself outside of it. This pain is not going to make its residence in me. I may say something like that. But I don't go around saying, oh, I have such a bad back. Because I don't possess such things. You see, it's an attitude. Anyway, we're getting way off. Let's get back over here. Let's get back over to where we're supposed to be on. (laughs) They wanted to get them to make a decision by what they see. They wanted them to move into an area they were not prepared for. Did God say, make a covenant with these people? Did God say, certain people are going to be coming your way. You can make a covenant with these people. He did not prepare them for this. They should not be going in this direction. The wrong things are supplied in abundance. Servanthood. We will be your servants. I don't need servants. We don't need that. We don't read anything in this story that shows any kind of fear or unrest, but there is uncertainty. And they should have bailed out. Now this may surprise you, but the people of Gibeon are not, you ready for this? Unfaithful people. You may wonder about that for a minute, but they are not unfaithful people. How do I know that? They've just come on the scene. Simple. They served the people as their words said they would for many generations and never one time complained that we read in the Word of God. Never one time tried to renege on it. Never one time tried to get out of this agreement. In fact, Saul (coughs) began to persecute the Gibeonites and he even killed some. And the nation came under a problem because of it. 
even when they were being oppressed by a king who failed on the covenant that was made, they still stayed faithful to it. Does that not amaze you? It amazed me when I thought, when this came to the mind about this, that, wow, these are not unfaithful people. Now, they are very faithful to do what they promised, and they never seem to change from it. They are very faithful to, to do that. They appear good. On the surface, folks, they appear to be very good. But they're not faithful to God or His Word. They're good people. You will find a lot of people in your life that are very good people and will do a lot of nice things for you, but they are not faithful to God and His Word. Their faithfulness level is lower. It's not quite where it, where it ought to be. It needs to be, uh, be taken in a, in a greater direction. Now, we're not going to get into this. Remember I told you there was going to be a teaser? I'll give you the teaser now. I want you to, I want you to get a hold of it. There is a way for you to take your faithfulness level up to a higher level. You see, because the level of your faithfulness is dependent on a particular thing. We are all prepared to give up on certain things. When you were little, you would not part with a $5 bill. How many, how many know what I mean? You hung on to those $5 bills. As you got older and you made more money, and if somebody was in need and they asked you for $5, how many of you were a lot more willing to give it? Oh, yeah, I can give you $5. Yeah. But how many of y'all know there's a limit? There's a certain limit that you hit. Uh, $20? Oh, okay, I can do $20. $100? No, no. Now, that limit may continue to go up, but we have a limit. The, limit. the limiting factor in our faithfulness is what we are prepared to sacrifice. Do you remember the man, the rich man, we just, we just looked at him? And Jesus said to him, one thing you lack. One thing you lack. That's what he said, right? One thing you lack. Go and sell all that you have, give it to the poor and come follow me. And you have riches in heaven. One thing you lack. How many of you thought when you heard that, one thing you lacked, the thing that he lacked was selling all that he had? That is not what he lacked. What he lacked was he was not willing to sacrifice or only to a certain level. And God, by this commandment, exposed it. There's your limiting factor right there. You were only willing to give so much if called upon. Nowhere does the Word of God teach that you have to. But there is a limiting factor. When we get into this next week, I will show you how to take the limiting factor in your life, on your faithfulness, and expand it. But you have to wait till next week. You have to come back for that one. We've got to get back in here and finish chapter 9. I just wanted you to know that. And it happened at the end of three days after they had made a covenant with them that they heard that they were their neighbors who dwelt near them. Three days! Three Days. You couldn't wait three days to make a covenant with some people who came from a far away land. What if you just would have said, look, you guys came from far away. You need to rest. <laughs> just take a load off. We want you to rest for the journey back. And we're going to load you up with some things to help you on that way. Just wait a little bit. Uh-uh. Three days.
the truth will usually be revealed if you don't rush into anything. Now, I'm going to give you a story here. This just happened in the news, and maybe some of you might have rushed into a judgment on this. But um, how many have, ever, have heard what's going down on the border and that uh, uh, Ocasio-Cortez came back and gave the report that people were drinking out of toilets? How many heard that? People drinking out of toilets. Uh, and then, of course, I got some certain people upset. So a whole group of Hispanic pastors. How many heard about them? A whole group of Hispanic pastors went down there to investigate and to check this thing out. And they came back and they said, we don't see that. The conditions are great. We don't understand it. How many have heard that, that story? And you're trying to make sense of it, aren't you? What in the world? What in the world is going on? How is it that one person can go down there and say that people are drinking out of toilets and the other person go down there and say, no, everything is fine. There's nobody drinking out of toilets. How does that happen? And then, you know, we, we, we polarize people and the people who don't like Trump get all mad at Trump because it's his fault. And the people who, who like Trump get all mad at uh, Ocasio-Cortez because, you know, she's obviously lying. Right? And so we, we all polarize. Do you have our picture ready for us, Brother Darrell? All right, don't put it up there just yet. But I'm going to show you a picture that may help shed some light on this. I didn't come up with this idea myself. Somebody else uh, uh, kind of clued me in on this thing and let me know. But go ahead and put our picture up there. And um, this is a particular unit that is put into a lot of prisons. It is put into places where you don't have a whole lot of space and you need to accomplish a whole lot. Now, if you were to have that in the facilities where the folks on the borders are being kept, are you drinking out of the toilet? If you are not somebody who speaks the English language and you tell somebody where you get your water from, could it be possibly interpreted that you are drinking out of the toilet? But that's uh, not exactly how we picture drinking out of the toilet, is it? Now, the other problem that came in with uh, or, or, uh, Cortez's statement is she said there was no running water. Now, she makes a lot of statements that I think if she just would think them through, most people would not say them. I just, I don't understand it. Because in her, in her statement, in very, I heard her, I heard her say it. I'm, don't be, I heard people report. I heard her say it. She's hard for me to listen to sometimes. But I did listen to her say this. She said they have no running water and they have to drink, or they're forced to drink out of toilets. Folks, how can you have a toilet without running water? <laughs> How can you have a toilet without running water? You, you can't do it. So you see, if you don't take all these things that people are reporting about stuff and get upset. Because more than likely, they're not giving you the full, full detail. They want you to feel a particular way. When these guys came to Joshua, they wanted them to feel a particular way towards them. So they gave them a story in that direction. And when people promote news and other things, they want you to feel a certain way towards certain people. I refuse to do it. For the most part, I don't listen to them. What I do hear from them, I refuse 
to allow myself to experience the feeling that they want me to have. If I want to, I'll go and research it on my own, like uh, we did with this, and you can take that picture off. That's not real pretty, but <laughs> but, but you understand. You understand that you can, uh, that, that this person can be saying something, this cursed person can be saying something. Now, obviously, Ocasio-Cortez did not actually look at the unit being used because you would not come out with the statement that she made if she had. But it was probably relayed to her and told to her in some, some way, and so she, uh, she based it off of, off of that. But um, anyway, just know they're trying to get you all riled up. I just refuse to let them to get me to be, be riled up. And politics certainly does that. It gets people riled up. And have you ever wondered yourself, don't raise your hand, just use your inside hand. Have you ever wondered yourself, you know, because, you know, one group of people, they believe the Republicans are all good. Another group of people, they believe the Democrats are all good. One person, we like this candidate. We like this. We, we have all these things. And um, amongst Christians, I'm not talking about the world, but amongst Christians, how is it that Christians can support a Republican candidate and other Christians can support a Democrat candidate and we're just kind of flying all over the place. If you want to know, I, I thought about this for a little while. I finally came up with this. this I, I like to say that, the, that God spoke just to me. Not, I, I think that anyway. <laughs> but, but there's a great test you can do to figure out if you are hearing from God or if you're open. I'll put it that way. If you are open to hear from God about your particular candidate about your particular uh, political views. It's real easy. Once I saw this, oh, yeah, well, that's a piece of cake. I can, I can understand that. Because most of the people that are so caught up in deception in the area of politics are generally the same people who will look at a candidate and see them do no wrong and another candidate and see them do no right. If you are caught in a place and President Trump or President Obama or any of the ones prior to that, everything they did was right, you cannot hear from God. If you look at President, former President Obama, current President Trump or any other past president and everything you see about them is wrong, you cannot hear from God. Because I will tell you this right now. Every single president that we've had has said wrong and right. And if you cannot see the wrong, you cannot see the right. There are some things that President Trump does that I don't particularly like. And there are some things that he does that I really do like. I've told you about it. You all know exactly where I stand on these kind of things that I am head over heels over a president who's finally doing some things on our trade imbalance or on our things with other nations. Just I'm not going to go over the list. But if I could not stand back and look at President Obama and see the good things that he did, I would be wrong. And the reason, I have, Bible, I have scripture on it. Even King Ahab did good things. Isn't that right? Remember King Ahab? During the days of Ezekiel? I'm sorry, not Ezekiel. Elijah? Days, days of Elijah? Even Ahab had good stuff about him. And if you could not see the good because of the bad, then your eyes are blinded. Well, amen.
I try and keep my eyes open. I can see somebody do something wrong and still believe that they're generally good for the for the job, and see somebody do something right, and it, and uh, it, it's, it's not. You have to be able to see both. And if you can't see both, you know there there are no other Jesuses out there. There's only one Jesus. He's coming to set up his kingdom, but he's not here yet. When he comes and rules and reigns, everything he does will be right. Everything he does. But until that time, we're going to have some problems with some leaders. You ever hear of a fellow by the name of Nebuchadnezzar? Yeah. Talk about up and down. Talk about a guy who's all in for God and then all in for himself. And then all back to being in for God. All right. Not politics. Verse 17. And the children of Israel journeyed and came to their cities on the third day. Now their cities were Gibeon, Chephira, Beroth, Kirjith, Jerum. Boy, you've heard that city a few times, haven't you? But the children of Israel did not attack them because the rulers of the congregation had sworn to them by the Lord God of, of Israel. And all the congregation complained against the rulers. That's nothing new. Then all the rulers said to all the congregation, We have sworn to them by the Lord God of Israel. Now therefore we may not touch them. This we will do to them. We will let them live. Lest wrath be upon us because of the oath which we swore them. Where is the wrath coming from? It's coming from God. Folks, you've got to understand this. When you make a covenant, when you make a promise, when you put your word out there, it is up to you to fulfill it. It is up to you to do it. If you do not hold to your word and do what your word says, you are limiting what God's word can do for you. You see, you want your words to be powerful. You want your words to speak to a tree and it dies. You want to speak to the, to the sick and have them recover. You want to say things with your mouth and have it have an, a, an effect upon the things that are you that you are around. But you also, I'm not speaking to you guys in just general. But you also want to be able to say, I will do that and renege on it if it doesn't work for you. The Word of God says that a wise, I think it's a, a wise person will swear and do to his own hurt. If you promise to do something and now it looks like it's going to cost you more than it was going to before, but you hold on to it, that'll help you in the long run. Don't let your word become useless. That's all over this chapter. They promised we won't do it. But they lied. Doesn't matter. We promised. We said this. It doesn't matter what they did. What matters is this is the word we spoke. We spoke this word. And we will do this word. Get a hold of that. Hmm. I think about it all the times. You know, my, my wife will say, Can you do this? Yeah, yeah, I can do that. And I forget. I just, I just forget. Sometimes she'll, you know, she'll get upset. You didn't do this. I didn't remember. (laughs) Tell me 
at a time I can do it. <laughs> and I'll do it right away. <laughs> oh, man. How many have ever been in that, that position? We got to get to, we, we got to get to that spot. I, I think about this story every time that those kind of things happen. Oh, if I said, then I need to get mad at myself. Cause I need to, I need to come back on that. Anyway. Roller said, let them live, but let them be woodcutters and water carriers for all the congregation as the rulers had promised them. And Joshua called for them. He spoke to them saying, why have you deceived us, saying we are very far from you when you dwell near us? Now, therefore, you are cursed, and none of you shall be freed from being slaves, woodcutters, and water carriers from the house of, of my God. So they answered Joshua and said, Because your servants were clearly told that the Lord your God commanded his servant Moses to give you all the land and to destroy all the inhabitants of the land from before you, therefore we are very much afraid for our lives because you have because of you and have done this thing. These are faithful people who have demonstrated this in the years to come. That they are faithful people. But they decided to go against what was in their nature to do to preserve their lives because they're not willing to die. They hit their limit. And now, here we are in your hands. Do with us as it seems good and right to do to us. So he did to them and delivered them out of the hand of the children of Israel so they did not kill them. And that day Joshua made them woodcutters and water carriers for the congregation for all the altar of the Lord in the place which he would choose even to this day. So being servants, woodcutters, water cutters for the rest of their life was preferable to them than dying. Now you all know what after you die you go to heaven and you probably wouldn't take that same choice. But they did put that in your bulletin for you your outline God holds us accountable for even the bad decisions and and promises we make but it appears even he expects us to keep our word just don't make decisions based on what you see don't make decisions based on what you see once you feel in your spirit that this is the direction that you are to go you didn't make it based on what you saw you made it based on what the spirit of God told you I told you early on when I was learning these principles and learning this, this kind of thing, the Spirit of God led me to do a couple of different things. One was to go to a school, a, a college, and uh, I was so so moved. This is where God is telling me to go that I did not apply anyplace else. I'm not telling you. Don't apply any, only apply one place. Get from God and apply one place. I'm just telling you. God told me that's where you're going to go to college. So I figured, why bother applying anyplace else? I've told you that story before. And so my counselor was telling me, no, you, it's fine. They accept you. Go there. But put two or three other applications in. Have some, have a backup plan. I said, I don't need a backup plan. God told me I'm going. <laughs> I'm telling this to the secular counselor in the secular school, Upper Moreland High School, right down the road. I told her that. Now, they believed it because I was that student who carried his Bible around on top of all my books. Bright yellow and orange Bible. Carried it around. Read it between classes. Read it in study hall. Read it at lunches. Read it every place I could read the thing. I read it. They knew that. So I went to, went to the King's College. And then um, later on, God says, all right, it's time to go on to Raymond. So I went to Ramah and, uh, and applied there. God opened the doors. It was, it was tough going. 
but God opened the doors for me to get there because he told me it was, I think they wanted me in August and I believe um, he was dealing with me in July or something like that. It was a really short period of time. In fact, I was so late getting in that everybody was arranged alphabetically except for like two dozen of us were at the end of the alphabet. So there was two groups of alphabets. There was the you know A through Z and then at the end, all of us latecomers. And I was in with the latecomers. All the way in the, all the, way in the back. And so I went on down there and, and we did that. And there's all kinds of stuff that came to my sight to tell me I made a mistake. I'm not going to get into all of them. But a whole lot of things that came to my sight that said I made a mistake. But I knew in my spirit I didn't. So I stayed with it. I told you about the, the job I took down there. God said that I went in and put the application in. It's not a great job. It's just making pizzas. And I walked in, put the application in, and walked out, setting my sights on Skaggs Alpha Beta. Because that's where I was going to put the next application. I had three places I was going. Ken's Pizza, Skaggs Alpha Beta, and there was another one. I don't remember what it was anymore. But I had it all set up where I was going to go. And so I was walking on over to the Skaggs Alpha Beta out of the parking lot. I still remember being on that parking lot. How many decades later? Walking out of there, and God says, that's where you're going to work. So I said to him, well, if that's where I'm going to work, there's no real reason for me to apply anyplace else, is there? He says, no. So I turned around in the parking lot and went home. And didn't apply anyplace else. I came back, because you see the manager wasn't there. So I came back a day or two later and uh, to find the manager. The manager still was not there. I still have no job. You can feel pressure. I can base on what I see. But I'm not basing on what I see. I'm learning to base it on what I, what I uh, believe. What the Spirit of God has showed me. And so I think the third time I got back there, the, the manager was there, hired me on the spot. And that was not the dream. That it, it, looking back, that was one of the most fun jobs I had. Oh, I loved that job. But it was not that, that way for the first couple of months. First couple of months, I was surrounded by the most immorality I'd ever been surrounded by in my entire life. I was surrounded by drug deals, people getting high on drugs. I was surrounded by a manager making drug deals out of the back parking lot. And I would go into work and I would say, I must have missed God somewhere. Surely God does not want me here in a place like this. This is not a place to develop pastors. I'd go into work and just the, the language, the things that people would say, it just, oh, it would tear me apart. Father, I'm sorry I missed you. I know I missed you. Somehow I missed it. And then one day, everything changed. I came in and the boss was fired for doing drug, drug deals in the back. And everyone was called upon to take his place. And the area general manager came in and he ran our store for a period of about a month. And I got to know him. And he got to know me. And I got a raise immediately. I got a raise again before I left, before he left and somebody else took over. I was given a promotion while he was there. I was given another promotion when he left because he told the manager coming in, you need to promote him. And I was elevated to run in the store before their ear was out. Not the manager, but I was uh, as, hard as, as high as I wanted to go, I was there before the ear went out. And that job, it took advantage of everything I wanted to do. And I'm not going to tell you about all the other stuff that went on, but that became a dream job. But you know what? Those first couple of months, man, that was tough. It wore me out. It wore me out so much I wanted to leave Tulsa. I wanted to get out. 
But you see, I didn't make decisions based on what I saw. I learned to make decisions based on what I believed and what God showed me and what God told me. That's what you need to get to. That's what these guys needed to be. If you feel rushed, it is probably a bad direction. Don't do something just to benefit others if God has not given you a direction and purpose in it. Just because other people benefit does not mean you need to do it. Here's the third one. Just because you now realize you should have done something doesn't mean you are released from it. Don't think that. Just because you now realize, well, I should have done this instead doesn't mean you are released. Here's the fourth one. Now, now if these sound familiar, I gave all these things to you before. I looked at this, uh, looked at this chapter. You know, we have, in the last 13 years, we've only covered this section of scripture twice. I was surprised at that. We should, probably should have been covering it more. I love these sections of chapters because they, they, they're one of those ones that I always bring to mind. All right, Joshua did this over here. Got to be remembering these things. So I just took them right out of what I gave you before. If you are the only one giving in any agreement, it is not a covenant. It is mere, merely forced charity. If you are the only one giving in any agreement, it is not a covenant. It is merely forced charity. I don't care how much poverty a person is in. They need to give something. And if you want chapter and verse on that, remember when Jesus stood in the back of the church and he watched people give offerings and he counted how much they gave. Do you remember that? And when he saw the widow woman who put in the two mites, what did he say of her? She gave more than anybody else. She gave, they gave out of their abundance. She gave out of her poverty. And she gave, what did he say? All that she had. Why doesn't Jesus jump up and stop her? Hey, look, look we don't need your money. <laughs> Why doesn't he do that? Why doesn't he say, cause we, how many of you would have done that? How many of you say, look, keep your two mites, I'll put in a quarter for you, and you're good? Uh-uh. If you are the only one giving in any agreement, it is not a covenant. It is merely forced charity. That's not helping anybody out. Jesus always looked for them to give something, to do something. Calling them. When those kids are growing up, you're calling on them. You know, if you want to buy candy, you got to put up a quarter. you got to put up 50 cents. Something. Because you know it helps them in their development. Now, we're going to get into next week, chapter 10. How many of you ever felt ganged up on? You ever feel like everything's coming at you at one time? You can read over this chapter and you will see that everything is coming at them at one time. But there is something in this chapter that will never jump out at you from just reading over it. This is why the Word of God says study it. There is something in this chapter coming up that will give you such light as to what to do when you feel ganged up upon and that everything is coming in at you. But you're going to have to wait till next week when we get into chapter 10. I promise you, we will get into it and we will... We will dig into all those things. Would you all stand up with me? Today is our communion Sunday. And as we bring the elements of communion out and our ushers bring them around to you and take of the bread and take of the cup. We know that Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, 
of all the things he could have done, this is the thing that he settled down to do. He was going to to have communion with his with his folks. They did this during the, the celebrated celebration of the Passover. And the Passover is the forerunner to this. This replaced it. We don't do Passover anymore. It's not that we're ignoring the Word of God. We're doing something different. Because the Passover and all that it did pointed to the coming sacrifice of Messiah. But when we do communion, as we call it, when we do the the blood and the bread, we are doing new covenant stuff. We are doing what happens after Jesus rose. The Passover is pointing to his death and his resurrection. We don't need anything to point to his death and resurrection anymore. What we need, where do we go from here? Now the Passover is a covenant. And we've learned from the word of God that unequal covenant, or not unequal, uh, covenants without a benefit on both sides are not good. There needs to be a benefit on both sides. I cannot give but anything near what God gave me. But his resources are far greater than mine are. But what God asks of me to do is to give what is for me a sacrifice as he gave what is for him a sacrifice. The Father God gave of his son, his only son, to die on the cross for your sins, gave him over to be beaten, to be bruised, to bleed, to be tortured, to be shamed, scoffed. All the while, the Father watched. And just remember Jesus' words. I could call right now for thousands of angels and they would come. Think about that. If Jesus gave the word, his Father would said, send the angels, even though this is what he wanted him to do. But he said, I want you to do this as often as you do it in remembrance of me. And before the supper even began, he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this represents my body, which is broken for you. He took upon his body our sickness, our disease, our pain, so that we don't have to bear it in our body. As we eat together, let's remember what he did for us. After supper, remember there's a whole meal in between. He took the covenant. He said this represents the blood of the new covenant. The old covenant, the blood of bulls and goats that covered sin, but the new covenant, the blood of Jesus washes it away. We know from the other places in Scripture, Hebrews and other places, that after Jesus died, he went and he took his blood and he sprinkled it in the Holy of Holies in heaven. You see, when Moses made the temple, when he made the pattern for the tabernacle, the pattern came from heaven. There was already one there. And when Jesus died on the cross, he took his blood. He took it up. He said, Mary, don't touch me yet. I haven't ascended to my father. 
He went up and he ascended to his father. He entered into the Holy of Holies as the high priest. The high priest who would never be replaced. He entered into that one time and he took that blood and he sprinkled it upon the altar just like the Old Testament priest did. He sprinkled it on the altar. And this is the only time it ever has to be done. Don't let the enemy ever tell you that there's something else you have to add. What Jesus did is complete. And he did it in heaven. He didn't do it in a tabernacle made of hands. He did it one in the heavens that is before the throne of God. Let's drink together and remember his blood has been sprinkled for us. Father, I thank you that you sent Jesus to this earth to die on the cross for our sins, to shed his blood, and not just to leave that blood shed here on the earth, but to take that blood to the heavens and put it on the altar. The price has been paid, and there's nothing that needs to be added. Father, I thank you for it. And we are in covenant with you. And we cannot give anything that matches anything close to what you gave. But when you call on us to give, we are prepared. We are ready. And we will make the sacrifice. For you are our Lord and our God. We give you the praise and the glory for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Brother Victor. In the cross, in the cross, be my glory forever. Your soul shall find rest beyond the river. Oh, in the cross, in the crown, be my glory forever. Your soul shall find rest beyond the river. Hallelujah to God. We are so glad to have all of us in church this morning. And for all our friends that are joining us uh, by way of the first of Facebook, we happy to have you in church. It's always a great thing when we come together to share in this fellowship. And the Bible says that the Spirit of the Lord cleanses us from all unrighteousness when we come together. And today the Word of God has been so powerful, um, you know, from the Word of, uh, from the matter of His servant. And a few things I wrote down, one of it was, you know, God will give to you things that are greater than you because He 
is greater than them. Hallelujah. You know, um, uh, Paul wrote in one of his epistles that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And he went ahead to say that ye have overcome the world because of what? Your faith. You know, so God that is in us, we always will know that will give us a victory because the one that is in us, he is greater. So we give God thanks for his faithfulness, for the, what he's done today in our lives, and we are so happy to have you in church. Hallelujah. We have um, two prayer reports here this morning, uh, more like a prayer and a thanksgiving. Um, Sister Candy uh, writing on behalf of our brother Bobby uh, that the sugar dropped very low this morning. Um, all the way from 186 to 236. And this is the first time it was ever happening. Uh, but the good thing is that God will always wake him up when he gets to that point, when he goes down low like that. Um, and he just don't sleep through it. Um, so, so now he has, um, a very bad headache and um, everything is, uh, every time his sugar goes down that low. So we want to thank God that um, the, uh, the God will serve picking him up whenever um, the sugar goes that, down that low so that he, he doesn't get, get to, you know, sleep through the night. Hallelujah. And it reminds me of what happened to our brother um, Peter when he was in the prison. Everything was just too bad. But at the right time when God visited, he woke him up from sleep. Hallelujah. So we give God thanks for that faithfulness and pray that even the headache, um, on him, the power of the Lord will deliver him from him in Jesus' name. Uh, Sister Allison and, sorry, our brethren Allison and Phil are also asking that we hope, hold, hold on with them for joining messages as they travel for their vacation. And our God has always promised us, he said, I will go with you. Remember the word he gave Moses in the wilderness. He said, my presence shall go with you. And that is what we pray, that the presence of the Lord shall go with them and they shall return back with testimonies in this vacation, in Jesus' name, amen. Um, so nice to be in church today, and as you go, um, have a good time for the rest of the week. Share love with one another, greet one another in love, amen.